So it's Acts 15, 36 to 41 for a sermon I've entitled Painful Breakup. Here's what it says. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brethren in every city which we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Barnabas wanted to take John Mark, or John who's called Mark, along with them, but Paul kept insisting that uh, they should not take him along who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone on with them to the work. And there occurred such a sharp disagreement that they separated from one another. And Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and left, being committed by the brethren to the grace of God. And he was traveling through Syria, Cilicia, and strengthening the churches. They say that breaking up is hard to do. Now I know, I know that it's true. Don't say that this is the end. Instead of breaking up, I wish we were making up again. I beg of you, don't say goodbye. Can't we give our love another try? Come on, baby, let's start anew, because breaking up is hard to do. Now that song was written by and sung by Neil Sedaka. It's about a young man breaking up with his girlfriend. But sometimes the painful breakup is not a romantic relationship, but a professional one. <coughs> Abbott and Costello. Uh, were a comedy duo that performed together on radio and movies and television during the 1940s and the 50s. At one time, Bud Abbott and Lou Costello were the highest paid entertainers in the United States. But despite their huge paychecks, they ended up with little money. They got into some legal trouble for failing to pay their taxes. Both were forced to sell their homes and uh, give away the rights to their films. And at the same time that Bud and Lou were falling into financial troubles, they were falling out as far as their friendship. The duo broke up in 1957. Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis, they were a comedy team. They started in New York playing nightclubs and later moved into movies and radio and television. They were not only partners, they were very close friends. But that friendship started to have strain. Dean got tired of playing the straight man for Jerry's jokes and it bothered him when the critics said that it was Lewis who was the real star of the show. Their growing animosity towards each other came to a boiling point when they were shooting the movie Hollywood or Bust that ended up in a shouting match. The last movie they ever made together. They didn't talk to each other for 20 years. When uh, Martin's son was killed in a plane crash, uh, Jerry Lewis came to the funeral, but he slept, slipped into the back unnoticed. Later on, when uh, Dean found out that Jerry had been there, he did call him and talk to him. Years later, after the breakup, Jerry Lewis said, why we broke up? I don't know. The Everly Brothers, they broke up in the middle of a concert. Don Everly showed up drunk. He kept messing up the lyrics. His brother Phil got so angry that he smashed his guitar over Don's head and walked off the stage. The next time they talked to each other was 10 years later at their dad's funeral. Simon Garfunkel, they were folk singers from the 60s. Did you know that they went to the same elementary school? They first met in fourth grade when Art Garfunkel was performing in a talent show. They began to play and sing together in junior high, and by the time they graduated from high school, they had actually written several songs and had one of them recorded. They both went off to college, but they kept working on their music. The first big hit, Sound of Silence, reached number one in 1966, selling over a million copies. That song was followed by a string of hits. They toured all the way across the country. Well, it was in 1968 during the recording of their greatest hit, Bridge Over Troubled Water, that troubles started to boil in their relationship, which led to a split. Paul Simon said at the time, I just want out. 
They only talked to each other a couple times over the next several years. The next time they actually performed together was in 1972 in a fundraiser for George McGovern, who was running for president against Nixon. It would be another nine years before they managed to come together for a concert in uh, Central Park in New York in 1981. 500,000 people attended that. They managed to come together for a reunion tour back in 2003. They made $123 million on that one. I guess you can put aside your differences if you can make a, that kind of money. According to the Next Avenue article I read, it says this. Asked about a reunion in 2016, Simon said, quite honestly, we don't get along. So it's not like it's fun. If it were fun, I'd say, okay, sometimes we can go out and sing old songs in harmony. That's cool. But when it's not fun, you know, and you're going to be tense in a tense situation, well, I have a lot of musical areas I like to play in, so that'll never happen again. That's that. I could go on giving you story after story of breakups. The Beatles, the Eagles, not all of them having to do with music and entertainment. George Steinbrenner, the owner of the New York Yankees, hired and fired and rehired Billy Martin five times. He was planning on doing it for a sixth time, but then Billy Martin died in a car crash on Christmas Day in 1989. Now, that successful acts breakup is not surprising. With fame and money and egos involved, it's actually amazing that non-Christians are ever able to make it to the end. But with believers, it should be different, right? I mean, Christians have that God-given love for each other that unbelievers simply cannot achieve. We're called to be humble and to forgive one another and to strive to maintain unity. Yeah, that's all true, but sometimes Christians, even very godly ones, come to loggerheads over an issue where neither side is willing to budge. And as a result, the partnership comes to the end. Well, today we have just such a story, and an incident recorded in this part in Acts chapter 15, we find that Paul and Barnabas had a sharp disagreement, one that caused them to part ways, breaking up perhaps the greatest missionary team there ever was. Well, it is to this painful breakup that we want to turn our attention today and think about how and why it occurred and what God's greater purpose was in it. So why don't we pray and get into the text. <clears throat> Father and God, I do pray for grace and mercy. All of us have relationships that have gone astray and broken up, and they're very painful. We pray that you teach us from this something about what we should do to maintain them and how it is that you can work even through the breakups. So bless us now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there's four things I want us to consider as we look at this story. First of all, the plans that were made, the plans that were made, and that's verse 36. Secondly, the conflict that arose, and that's 37 to 38. Third, the split that occurred, that's the first part of 39. And finally, the changes that resulted, and that's 39b to 41. So the plans that were made, the best laid plans of mice and men, often go awry. So said the Scottish poet Robert Burns. Well, the Apostle Paul had a well-laid-out plan. We read about it in verse 36. It says, After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let's go and return and visit the brethren in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Paul and Barnabas had been on a missionary journey where they planted the gospel seed. And, of course, some of those seeds sprouted and grew up to be plants of genuine faith. Then they watered that faith by teaching and preaching the God, word of God to the new converts. Now Paul wanted to go back and revisit these same churches to see what kind of spiritual fruit was being produced. You see, you have to understand, in ministry it's not just about getting people to heaven. It's about getting people prepared to go to heaven. So after commending the Christians at uh, Colossae, 
uh, for the way their faith was going, Paul wrote this to him. He said this, For this reason also, since the day I heard of it, meaning their faith, I have not ceased to pray for you that, to ask that you'd be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you'll be able to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Colossians 1, 9-10. That's what we want as elders of this church for you. We want you to come to church, to stay for Sunday school, to be in Bible studies, to gather together and pray so that you might walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please Him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and an increase in the knowledge of God. You see, we as a church, leaders can provide you with those opportunities, but they will do nothing for you if you don't take them. That brings us to our second point, though, the conflict that arose. Barnabas, you got everything packed? Yeah, I, I think so. I got the tent, the backpacks, the extra sandals, money for the sea voyage. We can buy three donkeys when we get to the coast. Whoa, 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 whoa. Three donkeys? Why do we need three donkeys? Well, one for you, one for me, and one for John Mark. I asked him to join us. <laughs> no. No way. Now, of course, I'm imagining how that conversation might have gone, but I don't think it's too far off. Look at what it says in verses 37 to 38. Barnabas wanted to take John Mark <coughs> with him also. By the way, that's his cousin. That plays into it as well, doesn't it? But Paul kept insisting that they not take him along who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone on with him in the work. Now, we read earlier about John Mark and how fairly early in the missionary journey he got up and went home. Now, why did he desert him at that point? Commentators speculate. They say, well, did he get sick? Did he get homesick? Was he a tenderfoot who couldn't handle the rough terrain? Now, Pastor Chris takes kids on canoe trips. Some of the kids are really up for the challenge. Other kids, not so much. How much farther do we have to go? I'm tired. My feet hurt. I'm hungry. I'm tired of paddling. Are we almost done? For some kids, the idea of roughing it is going to a hotel where you don't have Wi-Fi and the pool isn't heated. Well, maybe John Mark just got scared when he saw the opposition they were going to face. Whatever the reason, he turned tail and he went home. You know, you can see posters with John Wayne's picture on him in his cowboy outfit. And there's quotes underneath them. One of my read said this, Life is hard, but it's even harder when you're stupid. <laughs> or how about this one? Courage is being scared to death, but saddling up anyways. By the way, that's easy to say for a pretend cowboy, right? There used to be a billboard out on Highway 35 there with a picture of John Wayne on it. And he's looking back over his shoulders. The caption underneath says, Don't much like quitters, son. Well, Paul didn't like quitters either. And uh, he thought that John Mark lacked true grit that was necessary to be a faithful missionary. He didn't have what they call moxie, which the dictionary defines as force of character, determination, nerve. John Mark lost his nerve when he was in Pamphylia. Yeah, that's true, but I had a heart-to-heart -heart talk with him. He realizes now he made a mistake, and he feels bad about what he did. I mean, give him another chance to prove himself. Hey, all the disciples abandoned Jesus when they were arrested, and Peter even denied he knew the Lord. I mean, the Lord didn't hold it against them. He gave them another chance. Come on, Paul, you preach grace. How about you show a little grace? Jerry Falwell was the pastor of Thomas Road Baptist Church and the founder of Liberty University. He was also the head of the Moral Majority, an organization that had a lot of political influence in the 1980s. He preached a sermon entitled, The God of the Second Chance. Come on, Paul. God gives second chances, but you can't? I imagine, though, that Paul would have said something like this. Look, I am not saying John Mark isn't saved 
or that he isn't committed to the Lord. I'm just saying that he's shown that he doesn't have what it takes to be a missionary at this level of commitment. We're going, but he's not coming with us. Well, I'm not going without him. So if he's not coming with us, Paul, I'm not going with you. Try to see it my way. Do I have to keep on talking till I can't go on? While I see it your way, run the risk of knowing that our love may soon be gone. We can work it out. We can work it out. Think of what I'm saying. You can get it wrong and still think that you're all right. Think of what I'm saying. We can work it out and get it straight or say goodnight. We can work it out. We can work it out. Life is very short and there's no time for fussing and fighting, my friends. I have always thought that it's a crime. So I will ask you once again, try to see it my way. Only time will tell if I'm right or I am wrong. While I see it your way, there's a chance that we may fall apart before too long. Well, it wasn't too long before the relationship between Paul and Barnabas fell apart because we come to the next point, which is the split that occurred, and that's 39A. Look what it says. And there occurred such a sharp disagreement that they separated from one another. What? So that's that? I mean, this is the end of the road for the greatest missionary duo that ever graced the Roman Empire? I mean, how can they go on without each other? Well, I mean, what's Batman without Robin? The Green Hornet without Cato? Peanut butter and jelly sandwich if you're missing either the peanut butter or the jelly. Well, that's funny, but this situation wasn't. You know, Simon and Garfunkel had been friends since fourth grade, but they hadn't been brothers in arms, fellow soldiers in the Lord's army. These two had traveled together, ministered together, rejoiced together, bandaged one another's uh, wounds when they had been beaten by unbelievers. Added to all this, Barnabas was the one who first took Paul under his wing when he got saved. And now what? They're splitting up the band? John Lennon can go off with Yoko Ono. Paul McCartney can get, form a new band called The Wings. And who knows what's going to happen with George and Ringo. But, I mean, the Beatles are done. Yeah, and so is this group too. Hey, whose fault was it? Now, I listened to a pastor who laid the blame squarely at the feet of Barnabas. He said Paul was the apostle who outranked Barnabas. Barnabas should have come under his authority, and therefore he was out of line. And the proof that the pastor gives for this interpretation is that from this point on, the book of Acts, we only hear about Paul's ministry, nothing about Barnabas's. But the problem is that's an argument from silence. We don't hear anything more about Peter's ministry after chapter 15. Does that mean that Peter was in rebellion against God? Besides Simon Peter, did you know that Jesus had another uh, disciple whose name was Simon? Simon the Zealot. Do you remember what he said? No, you don't, because he didn't say anything that was recorded in the New Testament. Does that mean he wasn't a good apostle? No. Well, you know... The amount of times that your name appears in Christianity today tells you nothing about whether you're doing faithful ministry or not. Years ago, I was teaching through a Bible study, and I asked people this question. I said, who do you think was right and who do you think was wrong in this issue with Paul and Barnabas? And I went around and asked each person individually, but as, they did, as I did, I, I, in my mind, thought, I, okay, how are they going to answer? And I guessed. Do you know the 10 people there? I guessed every one of them exactly right. How did I know how they were going to answer, who they had side with? just by their basic personalities. Most of the women sided with Barnabas. Well, you should give him another chance. A lot of the guys said, no, the guy abandoned him. However, there was one couple where the guy was a very quiet and very kind guy, and he said, no, I think they should give him another chance. His wife said, no way. He... <laughs> 
I mean, think about this though. The name Barnabas means son of encouragement. You know, his actual name was Joseph. The apostles gave him this as a nickname because of his personality. I knew a guy whose uh, nickname was Hap, as in Happy. I mean, you wouldn't expect a guy with a nickname Happy to be uh, Oscar the Grouch, would you? You know, Paul and Barnabas and their respective personalities were very similar to Martin Luther and his sidekick Melanchthon, Philip Melanchthon. Listen how Luther described himself. He said, I am rough and boisterous, stormy and altogether warlike, fighting against innumerable monsters and devils. I was born for removing stumps and stones, cutting away thistles and thorns, and clearing forests. His partner, Philip Melanchthon, on the other hand, was a quiet man, a man of peace. While Luther not only ruffled feathers, but plucked the chicken and <laughs> cooked it, Philip was always trying to smooth things over. But God used both of them with their unique personalities. Now, I have to tell you, and listen carefully, other than Jesus himself, no one has a perfect balance of tough yet tender, driven yet patient, bold yet cautious, feisty yet subdued. I don't know which side you tend to fall on, but I know where mine is. For those who are bold and feisty and tough when it comes to ministry and proclaiming the truth, we need to learn not to run over people. Give them time to absorb the truth actually learn when to keep our mouths shut, picking our battles more carefully. But honestly, don't a lot more people fall on the other side? They won't confront people when it comes to sin because they don't want to risk losing the relationship and having the person get angry. The Bible tells us to speak the truth in love. Some are bold in speaking the truth, but they sometimes forget to do it in love. Others are so concerned about loving that they're unwilling to speak the truth even when that truth is necessary to keep that person from destroying their life. And that's not very loving, is it? Who is at fault in this split? We don't know. And you know what? Luke doesn't tell us whether the blame is assigned more to Paul or Barnabas. It was sad. It was painful. And it changed the trajectory in the ministry of both Paul and Barnabas, which brings us to our next point, the changes that resulted. This is 39 to 41. By the way, do you like when change comes into your life? Ch-ch-changes? Some people get bored easily. They change jobs and even careers every couple of years. My first job I was at for 18 years. My next one for 15 years. I've been a pastor in this town for 31 years. I don't like changing jobs often. I know one guy who was born and died in the same house. I think he went out a couple times. I'm not positive. but well, Even if you like stability and stasis, things change. Places change. People change. Plans change. Paul had planned to go out with Barnabas and revisit the churches. Barnabas had planned to go with Paul and take John Mark with him. By, but the plans for both of them had to be changed. We read this starting in 31, or 39b. It says this, They separated from one another, and Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and left being committed to the, by the brethren to the grace of God. I mentioned Abbott and Costello earlier. Years after they split up, Bud Abbott tried to revive his career by teaming up with another comic, a guy named Candy Candido. It didn't work. He said, you know, no one could ever live up to Lou. I wonder if Paul and Barnabas felt that way after their painful breakup. You know, it's hard when relationships end, whether it's a marriage relationship, or a relationship with a family member, a long-term friend. That's painful even when the persons you're at odds with are unbelievers, but it's especially true when it's another Christian. 
Someone you used to pray with, someone you used to go to church with, someone who was in your Bible study, but now you still pray for them, but you no longer talk to them. That's hard. It shouldn't be this way, but sometimes it is. The Bible tells us that as much as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. But sometimes it doesn't depend on you. For the sake of principle, you cannot compromise, and your relationship ends up severed. But you know, the Bible promises in Romans 8.28 that we know that God causes all things to work for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. God works all things after the counsel of his own will. Now, I don't know who is right or who is wrong in this instance, but I know that God was still working through this sad event to further his purposes. Yes, the greatest missionary duo broke up, but as a result of it, they ended up with two teams, didn't they? Ajith Fernando was the National Director of Youth for Christ in Sri Lanka, and his commentary on this passage writes this. While it is true that this passage does not give us an excuse to quarrel, it does give us comfort if we have disagreements that do not end in amicable resolutions. He goes on to say this. Because God is greater than the problem, we can always live with the hope of resolution. The hope will help us to look beyond the hurt in that day when, to the day when we can rejoice when the relationship is restored. I want to close by telling you two stories about people who came to the end of their lives and how God was able at that time to mend relationships. You know, at the first church that I pastored, I was there for two and a half years before I agreed to accept a call. So by the time they voted on me, everybody pretty, knew, pretty much knew what they were getting. And so I, I was told later by one of the deacons that in the meeting, there was only one member who had voted against me. His criticism of me was that he thought that when I preached, there was too much levity in the pulpit. Levity meaning lightness, lack of seriousness. Now, I don't know why he said that, but looking back today, I think he might have had some reason for concern. Maybe he thought I was just too young at 28 years old to be the pastor of a church. Well, he wasn't happy with how the vote had gone, and so he and his wife left and went to another church in another town. Fast forward three years. The pastor of the church that he was now attending left, and being of the same denomination, the leaders of that church asked if I could come do some pulpit fill. Well, that lasted for about a year. I was their interim pastor. So he couldn't get away from me. But I could tell in that year that his frosty attitude towards me began to thaw some. And eventually, they hired another pastor who was there for about a year or two, and then he left. So again, they didn't have a pastor, but this time they didn't ask me to do any pulpit fill. But after not hearing from or about this man for several years, one day I got a phone call from him. He said, Pastor Doug, this is so-and-so. Oh, hi, how are you? Not well. I've got stage four cancer and I'm dying. Where's he at, Doug? I don't have a pastor. Do you think you could come visit me? I was more than glad to. I got to minister to him in his dying days. Before he breathed his last, he asked me to do his funeral because he wanted to make sure that his family members got the gospel. I said I'd be honored to do so. Whether or not there was too much levity in the pulpit when I started my career, there certainly wasn't when I preached at his funeral. And whatever the rift was between him and I, it was mended before he breathed his last. The other person I want to mention is Paul himself. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 9-11, to 11, Paul speaking. This is, as he's coming to the end of his life, he's in a dark, dank prison cell with no windows, awaiting his execution by beheading. He writes to his friend Timothy, encouraging him to come please before winter because it's cold and bring his coat and his parchment, meaning his Bible. And then he said this, Make every effort to come to me soon. 
For Demas, having loved the present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus still to, to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Listen to the last line. Pick up Mark and bring him with you, for he's useful to me in service. Now, Paul was reconciled to Mark, and though we're not specifically told so, I'm sure he was reconciled to Barnabas as well. Let me give you some parting advice on this. Number one, try to maintain your relationships, especially with believers. Frank Sinatra had lots of friends, but never for very long. They said that if he was ever offended by you, or you said something he didn't like, he would cut off the relationship and he'd never talk to you again. He said his mother was the same way. That's pathetic. Second thing, if you cannot maintain the relationship, don't be embittered against that person and take the opportunity to slander them, even if they were the ones who were really responsible for the breakup. The Bible says love covers a multitude of sins, 1 Peter 4.8. 1 Corinthians 13.5 says, Love is not easily angered, and it keeps no record of wrongs. John Wesley and George Whitfield were great evangelists in the colonial days of America. They worked both in England and also in the United States. They had started out friends before they had ever been famous, used to pray together and all that. But as they went on in their ministry, Wesley was a flaming Arminian, and Whitfield was a Calvinist. So they disagreed about theology. And honestly, um, Wesley was pretty harsh with Whitfield, but he tended not to return in kind. At some point, though, somebody asked them, so, Mr. Whitfield, do you think you'll see John Wesley in heaven? And he said, no, I don't think I will. He said, I imagine he'll be so close to the throne of Jesus, and I'll be so far away that I won't be able to see him. George Whitfield was a better man than John Wesley, though they were both great men. Last thing you need to do is pray. That the person, for that person, and pray that reconciliation will someday happen, so that instead of breaking up, you'll be making up again. If you're both believers, that will someday happen, either in this life or the next. And in the meantime, be it as much as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. May God give us the grace to reflect the character of Jesus in our relationships. Let's pray. Our Father in God, you know, it shouldn't be this way, but it was. And we shouldn't have Christians ever divided in the point of breaking relationships, but it does happen. And even in the midst of that, you're using it for your own purposes. We ourselves have gone through a church split years ago, but it was now, as we look back, we can see for your purposes, and it blessed us as a result of it. It doesn't excuse anything that we do that's wrong, but it does give us confidence that you can bring right out of our wrongs. So, Father God, I pray for grace and mercy. All of us have kids or family members that uh, we're at odds with, some who profess faith in Christ and aren't believers, some who are really believers, and we pray, Lord, that we would work to maintain our relationships. And uh, whatever happens, Lord, that it won't be because of us that they break apart. So bless us now. Give us grace. For we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, why don't you stand with me, and we're going to sing together.